Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs, and discover why and how they do what they do. We'll get the backstory, plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Hey, what's going on? Welcome back to The Driven Entrepreneur. It is Matt Browning. I am with you as per usual. Hey man, um, you know, I know you are in the middle of your week, wherever you are, and what you're always looking for is a little pick-me-up. You're looking for some life lessons. You're looking to, you know, to, to dive into this entrepreneur journey that we're all on. And I have uh, just the person to dive into it with you today. This is someone who's become a friend over the last couple of months. We've been doing some trainings together in the world of media. It's funny, we were just talking and um, he's going to be on Fox TV like two days before I am at the exact same station. So we just have you know a lot of stuff in common. Uh, really, really great dude. And he's in the real estate world, but he's really an entrepreneur above all else. And I'm talking about Mike Hambright. And he's a real estate entrepreneur. He's been doing that for well over a decade. But after all this hard work in real estate and getting the financial freedom that you know you're so happy to get in real estate, he's flipped hundreds of houses mentor directly hundreds of students to go buy thousands of properties. He founded a company called FlipNerd.com and he hosts the award-winning FlipNerd Real Estate Investing Secret Show and he's reached millions of listeners through the podcast and show. So excited uh, to hear a little more about that and check it out with him. Uh, he's an advisor to the nation's top real estate investors through his Investor Fuel Real Estate Mastermind. He and his wife, Lindsay, own a single-family rental portfolio, which I really think that's awesome. Uh, he hasn't, well, we'll talk about his portfolio in a minute. Uh, and they're owners uh, in a $20 million multifamily portfolio. So we're going to talk all about strategic acquisitions. We're going to talk about investments. And we're just going to get into this whole real estate entrepreneur life. Mike Hambrit, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, Matt. Happy to be here. Dude, I'm so excited to jump in with you. So when we were at the last event together in Vegas a couple months ago, um, we just... I don't know, like it was like peas in a pod. I instantly like knew you, you were my people. <laughs> yeah, we hit it off. And it's funny because we so much of the same thing with, as you said earlier, before we went to tape different content, your content is around real estate, and around investing. But I said, you know, what do you want to talk about mostly? And you said, honestly, I just love being an entrepreneur. Tell me a little bit about kind of the entrepreneur story. You know, did you grow up that way? Did you always know? Did you always have a yearning to like sell things, create things? Or was this something that you stumbled into because you were on a different path? Tell me kind of how the entrepreneur path came to fruition. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny because uh, I have a 12-year-old son now. So I, I, he's like a little, uh, little mini-me. He's an entrepreneur in training here. And, and his parents are entrepreneurs. But I did not have that. I, uh, my parents were very much blue-collar workers. My dad worked in a factory. My grandparents worked in the same factory that my dad worked in. He grew up in the Midwest. You know how a lot of that stuff is. So kind of the rust belt of just, um, you know, kind of the, the fabric of just work really hard. And up there, it, it often, the time I was growing up at least, usually meant physically working hard, right? I didn't really know. Honestly, I, if, I, if I think back about it, I didn't know any, anybody that I would have considered an entrepreneur. Like everybody was a teacher or working in a factory or working at a store, it was all just kind of, you know, labor intensive. And so, but I will say that uh, as I look back now, I remember vividly fifth grade, um, 
back on the playground at that time. I'm going to date myself here, but we were, we were, this is like obviously pre all electronics. So just, just to put it out there, I'm 45 years old. So, uh, I remember we used to play marbles. <laughs> I was going to say you're playing stick ball out in the street. Yeah. Yeah. Marbles. So we're playing marbles. And I, I vividly remember going to a craft store and buying this big bag of marbles. And then I was selling them out and, you know, making a profit on that. And literally lemonade stands, paper routes, like I could shoveling snow, mowing lawns. I could just go on and on and on about how I always kind of was entrepreneurially minded, but I didn't really have anything in my family. When I look back at my parents or anybody that I was surrounded with to kind of teach me those lessons, I guess I just had that somewhere deep in my bones. Uh, I was going to ask people often, cause it's just so intriguing to me. And you said deep in my bones. Do you feel like it's almost a DNA thing? Like you just have an aptitude to think that way? Or can you also sort of go back when you said no one in your life was like that? Oftentimes, you know, an entrepreneur has that story of, I saw my dad struggle or I saw my mom go to, you know, this job for 30 years. Do you think any of that kind of played into it? You're like, hey, I want to find a better way. Or was it just kind of, hey, that's the way I thought as a kid? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if that's like in your DNA. I, I, it feels like it was, but I don't know where it came from, you know, so... Um, but I, I will say that no doubt, um, as I started to get later in life, I was the first person in my family to go to college, ended up going on to grad school and getting a bunch of formal education, almost none of which I actually use now in my business or my life. But, um, you know, I was kind of trying to get out of that, uh, kind of break that cycle in my family of, of just kind of the blue collar, not, not so much the blue collar worker. I just didn't want to do blue collar work. So. Um, yeah, so I guess there was something, uh, along the way of watching how hard my family worked and hearing little things about, you know, how they thought to get ahead, which was usually work harder, um, uh, or more hours or whatever. And so I definitely had got a great work ethic there, but I, th I think in the back of my mind, especially as I got older, I started to question like, is this as good as it gets? Is this all there is? Right. And, and when you start questioning, is this all there is? what kind of work are you doing at the time? Is this early on still, or is this when you start getting into the workforce and doing, doing what you're doing? Yeah. So when I first went to college, so I went to um, my first like year or so in college, I actually was on the fence about going to college or going to uh, do a pretty much a very labor intensive uh, job, just like a laborer. And, um, and I remember at the time it was, it was like 50, 50, it was kind of a coin toss, you know, and, um, and I, something kind of steered me in the direction of not going that route, but I definitely as kind of college, cause I didn't, you know, I love my parents. I love my family. Everybody's great, but nope, there was nobody there to kind of be my shepherd for how to navigate going to college, where I should go thinking about majors, like any of that stuff. I was just kind of like wanted to get away from home. I had some friends that were going to a certain college. So I ended up going there. And so, you know, I didn't really have anybody to kind of be my champion and show me the way. I just kind of followed along until, until things kind of clicked and, I mean, you know, probably goes hand in hand with that, that I think I changed my major like six or eight different times along the way, of course, too. <laughs> but it was just like, didn't know where I wanted to go, but I knew I wanted something more, I guess. Tell me, I don't know if sometimes the, the math on bios isn't accurate. Um, what year did you start in the real estate world kind of more as, as the entrepreneur? Cause I'm sure you had some dealings with it here and there. So 2008, 2008. And, okay. And, um, when I got out of college, I was on the five-year plan. So, and I got out of college, I worked for, 
um, about four or five years before going back to grad school full-time for two years. And then post-grad school, uh, worked for about five years for somebody else before I, before I started on my own in 2008. And so 2008, I remember very vividly. I, uh, to be quite frank, I was doing really well in real estate leading up to that point. Cause that was, that was my, and that's part of what we connected on too. Yeah. You know, most, most everyone here has heard my story, but by 25, I had accumulated $5 million in property and, but also owed nearly $4 million, right? So I was pretty highly leveraged, but everything was going up and doing well. And then I made a few strategic mistakes with a couple of high-end homes. And by 2008, all of a sudden the thing is supposed to sell, it doesn't sell and it snowballs. So you're coming in kind of with fresh eyes in that 2008 range when, I mean, this is like, you know, you look back in 1929 and, and people think of it as a crash, but more money was made in the stock market than almost any other time in history right. during that same time. So tell me what brought you into real estate of all things? And did you get in as, hey, let me just buy a house or was it an investment opportunity or was it a as thinking you're going to be a broker, an agent, like, tell me a little bit about the kind of the entry point and why of all the things you could do of all the marbles you could sell, why did you get into real estate? <laughs> yeah, so I'll tell you, I'll kind of tell you a little bit about, about the backstory leading up to that point. So um, I got out of college and I uh, got a degree in finance and went to work for a large bank in Chicago. And, um, you know, seemed kind of like successful because here I was a few years earlier, thinking about doing kind of essentially a general laborer type job. And now I'm wearing a suit and I'm going to a multi-billion dollar bank and all this stuff every day. But very quickly I realized like, Hey, I'm just, I'm just a desk jockey. I was in this job where there's literally hundreds of people like me, a sea of cubicles, as far as you could see uh, of people pretty much fresh out of college uh, doing the same thing, which was um, kind of like an auditor function. So not, not sexy at all. (laughs) You know, you kind of get into it for a little bit. And I'm like, again, I was like, is this, is this really all there is? And you know, every once in a while you'd run into somebody that's kind of working in my type of job right out of college. But this guy's been there for like 20 years and you're like, Oh my God, like kind of like, you know, how did he get stuck here? Right. So stuff like that. And you just kind of like compare it to yourself. It wasn't about him. It was just like, wow, I hope I don't, I hope I'm not still here in 15 years, you know? And wow. it got to the point of like, gosh, I hope I'm not here in like, a month, like I'm tired of this. <laughs> and so, um, why am so I then, here? Yeah. Oh yeah. Who am, who am I? So then, um, I was there for a couple of years though. And, uh, you know, there were pros and cons. It was a great job kind of right out of college, but it's just kind of questioning further. Like, is this, is this all there is? And then I actually moved to Dallas uh, from Chicago back in 1999 and got another job. And it honestly was totally different company and all this stuff, but kind of ended up in the same type of job where it's just a financial analyst role. And there were me, there's me and one other person. And we reported to like the manager of financial planning. I was like a financial planning analyst and there were two of us. And then the two of us reported to the financial planning manager, man, and then sounds two, riveting. Man, two managers, two managers. There were two teams of two people. They each reported to one kind of manager. And then there were those two managers report to the director of financial planning. You know, like I could basically see the next like 15 years of my career within like 20 yards of me. Wow. And it was like, oh my God, is this, this gonna, this is like brain damage. So did that for a couple of years. And then I thought, Hey, what do I have to do to solve this? <clears throat> well, more formal education or that's so I thought. So that, then I went back to grad school. 
and got my MBA. Then I met my wife there. Great. We went to the University of Texas in Austin. Great program. Great, great city to live in and lots of fun stuff. So it was a great uh, two-year experience. But while I was there, actually shortly after I started our, my graduate school program, a month into it, actually, uh, September 11th happened. And the market just shifted. And so, you know, here we are going into like a top tier MBA program where all these people are getting out and going to work for Bain and McKinsey and like all, you know, going to Wall Street to be investment bankers, all this stuff. And that stuff just kind of most of it went away for several years after that. So I got out of grad school and uh, eventually got what I kind of call a dream job. It was just, I was like the apprentice for the CEO of a $5 billion company was just flying around on private jets and doing some really amazing stuff that somebody my age just, you know, typically wouldn't have access to. And then one day kind of out of the blue, he got fired. Now, he was my boss and I, I never really realized um, how unfortunate it was when you're, when you're kind of all eggs are in one basket that somebody else controls, you know, that. Yes. And so essentially I was his outspoken right-hand man and I had his cover for anything, but when he was gone, you know, they're like, oh, that little, that little smart mouth kid that's been tagging along with him, he's gone to like get rid of him. So pretty much, you know, lost my dream job at the time. And, uh, that was a literally as a, uh, that company had 35,000 employees. That company actually does not even exist anymore. Oh my it, gosh. It went, went away. 35,000 people lost their job over the next couple of years. $5 billion company just wiped off the face of the planet. So, um, wow. So when that happened, it was a slap in the face. My ego was ruined for a while, like all sorts of stuff like that. And then I went to another, a startup company and I was there for about 18 months. They were flying high, had gone from kind of an idea a few, a few years earlier to a $500 million a year company, uh, retailer. And, um, then what happened is I was there for 18 months doing really well. Like financially, I was making a lot of money. I had grown, uh, I was a general manager for a division of the company it could dramatically increased, uh, the performance of my division. And then the company filed for bankruptcy. No. And it was like, oh man. So, and on top of that, my wife had quit her job to support me moving there. And, uh, and we had gotten pregnant shortly after we moved there. So my son was born like two months before this happened. So I have a two-year-old at home, a two-month-old, sorry, two-month-old baby at home uh, and uh, a wife. We've been married for three years or so at the time. And, you know, all, when you're young and you're just like, man, I'm like, you know, shit's getting real now, right? It's like, oh my gosh, what how are we going to do here? So it was just this kind of back-to-back, like I can't control my financial destiny, my family's future if I'm working for somebody else. and. Um, and I'd always been entrepreneurial, like I said, but I just had kind of followed that traditional path of going to college and grad school and all these things. And, uh, and it just kind of came back to me that's like, hey, the only way I can control my family's destiny, my future, is if I take control over who I work for and got to work for myself. So that was, that kind of led up to that. Um, I'd always been interested in real estate investing. I, for uh, you're in the Midwest. So for like four and a half years, I worked at a Menards when I was in high school and college. And, uh, and my dad had always been fairly crafty and I'd always, you know, watched at the back then. And I, this sounds so bad when I date myself, I think you and I are around the same age. So I don't feel so bad. I'm, I'm dating you too, my friend. Um, 
Hey, hey, let's not be hasty yeah, yeah. here. I didn't play his, Marvel's, uh, you know, recess, all these man. HGTV shows weren't on when we were growing up, but there was like this old house right. and stuff like that that was oh, yeah. kind of fun to watch, you know? So I'd always been interested in real estate investing without really knowing what that meant even. And so um, when I had lost, uh, when I, basically the company that filed bankruptcy, I left, but I kind of knew, you know, over the next few months, I knew it was going to happen. And um, we moved back to Dallas. Uh, that, cause that job was in Washington DC. So we actually moved across the country for that. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd always had an interest in real estate investing. And even though I had all this education relatively smart guy, like I really was naive to what was going on in the market. The fact that the market was turning down at that point in 2008. Uh, but the good thing is, is, you know, they say ignorance is bliss sometimes. So I had no idea all these people are running out and I'm running, my wife and I are running into the fire, you know? And, um, and yeah, so when again, what what perfect timing? Because if you if you weren't already in, yeah, yo, in, in hindsight, yeah, at the time everybody's like, oh, you're crazy, the market's crashing. You, why are you doing that? What a terrible time to get in. Well, the reality that was the best time to get in, and we didn't time it that way. It's just circumstance worked out that way. Wow, man, that's awesome. So tell me what let's let's go, jump into the idea of real estate, and and I want to pick your brain too and get your feel. Yeah, uh, since you have your finger so much on the pulse, um, where do you feel like things are going now? But I want to get there in a moment what were the first kind of investment opportunities that you started getting into? Were you picking up foreclosures? Were you, did you just get a home for your family? How did you get into it and what came next? Yeah, no, no, no. So we, um, so we, I, what I really wanted to do was flip house, fix and flip houses, what we call rehabbing now or fix and flips. And so what I didn't really understand was, uh, and I like the idea of having rental properties and a portfolio that cash flows and all that. And you know, that stuff, um, it was kind of academic back then. And there's a lot of other strategies that we use uh, now and that I learned pretty quickly. But yeah, so I really wanted to buy houses and uh, fix them up and resell them, which is really what I wanted to do. Um, now we, so we got after it in a pretty big way. So our first year in business with no prior experience, uh, we actually flipped 65 houses. What? In the Dallas market. So we so got after did, it You didn't just go and way. say, let me save oh, up yeah. a down payment. Let me go buy a house. Let me work on it for six months. How did no, you no, accomplish... No what are some of the principles that allowed you to accomplish 65 houses in 12 months? I mean, you're talking an average of over five houses a month. Did you have a team? Did you start with a team? Yep. Did you, how did you do financing anywhere where you want to start? I don't know what's on or off limits, but I want to, I want to know. Yeah. So we found, you know, yeah. So we found, uh, you know, we found a couple of people to surround ourselves with that could kind of teach us like what to do, how to run this like a business. And at that point, you know, leaving corporate America, um, you know, I had done fairly well in corporate America. So in order for me to go all in on, on uh, this, this entrepreneurship thing at the time, which is what it was, was we've got to go big. Like I can't dabble in this. Like we have to really make this a real business. And so my wife and I worked really hard to just figure a lot of stuff out and lean on some people. I mean, a lot of stuff, you know, there wasn't back in, back in 2008 in our industry here, there, there's a lot of technology, a lot of CRMs, a lot of marketing tools that are uh, allow you to automate your business now, but none of that existed back then. Yeah, I remember. It was just like spreadsheets and lots of, you know, lots of uh, legal pads and manila folders and file cabinets full of stuff. And so, um, yeah, so it was just uh, this realization of I had already been uh, kind of slapped down twice from losing two jobs and and I knew I had to kind of go big or go home. And so we just we just got after it. Yeah. So the fundamental though, back to your question, one of the fundamentals is learning very early on that this business, like all businesses, 
uh, ultimately is uh, about lead generation. It's about generating leads and talking to prospective sellers and making offers on houses. So we really never focused on foreclosures because they just weren't as big of a deal in the Dallas-Fort Worth market. But you know, we tend to buy houses from people in distressed situations. And so common ones are death, divorce, inheritance, uh, buying houses from uh, what we call tired landlords that you know, it turns out in, in, in America as a whole, if the, you know, if the home ownership is 65%, that means 35% of people rent. So a lot of people don't really realize that depending on what market you're in, probably three, four houses out of 10 are rental properties. And a lot of the people that own those that we'll kind of call a landlord, uh, a lot of people really just own one or maybe two that they inherited and, or they got married and they kept, you know, one of the houses as a rental. So these are not big professional landlords with huge portfolios. It's a lot of people own just one or two. Yeah. So they're not in the business of investment and, and property management, but they have right. to manage a property. That's right. That's right. And when a tenant tears your house up, when you, when you have a tenant that's only been there for six months and they haven't paid the rent and you evict them and you go in and they've done like $10,000 in damage. I'm you know, over it. Yeah, I'm over say, this they, thing. They don't say, you know what I really need? I need 10 more of these. They're like, make this, <laughs> make this go away like now. And, uh, and they call people like me. Okay. So you decided to do this as a business. And it's interesting that you say, like when I think of flipping houses, to me as a business, I think the most important thing to get together, um, and I've flipped like 10 houses, right? Not 65 in the first year. That was what I did in my, throughout my 20s. But I always thought the most important thing was to get your, your materials, your contractors, like the actual work itself. And I'd find a deal here and there. I love that you're saying the biggest thing is prospecting what's, what's a way that you approach that? Like, do you like hit the pavement? Do you cold call? Um, especially starting off, what advice do you have for someone listening? Who's like, Hey, maybe I should try to flip a couple of houses. Cause look, you can make 20, 30, 40, 50,000, depending on the deal, you know, on a house and you don't have to treat it like a whole business necessarily. You could do two houses a year, one every six months and double your income and quit your job. Like that's totally possible, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I will say, you know, I talk a lot about this and you and you and I could probably talk about this for hours, but one of the things that I teach, cause I coach and mentor a lot of people and we talk often about a lot of people that want to get in this. Um, they like the idea of freedom. I want freedom of my time and certainly financial freedom. Um, but what ends up happening is, and this is probably true in all entrepreneurship, all small business is there's a lot of people that say that they're a business owner, but the truth is, is they own a job. Right. And so what we often teach is uh, when you, if you're doing two houses and there's nothing wrong with that, if that's your goal, two houses a year, but you probably have a job because you, you don't have the scale to afford to have an assistant and a sales guy and a whole bunch of other uh, team members that can allow you to have freedom over your time. Uh, you, you're, you're the guy or the gal, you're, you're probably doing it all. And, and again, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and you're probably putting in your own kitchen. You're probably scraping up the linoleum on Saturday morning and like, and that's why it takes six months, correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. If you get, uh, if you're, if you're doing a small volume like that, you're probably uh, a lot more involved in the day-to-day -day operations of your business where, you know, I'm, I'm not, I've gotten to a, it wasn't always that way, but even from the very beginning, because we did a lot of volume we had to, in order to scale it, we had to have a team that would handle a lot of the um, little details that, um, that I would have been pulled into had I not been kind of a volume shop. Gotcha. So what, what advice do you have for someone starting off? Because uh, man, time's going and I want to make sure we get some good stuff in for you. Because what you're teaching at flipnerd.com and what you teach in 
Um, you know, you have master classes and masterminds and, and a lot of what you do is, is quite frankly, what I do in the speaking world. I teach and mentor speakers and entrepreneurs yep. and you're doing all of that great work as you're showing up as a mentor, as a mastermind leader, as a coach. And of course, you're eating your own cooking, I like to say, because uh, you're, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're consistently making money from investing. You're not just making money from teaching people how to do things. You're actually doing the things, which I, again, I have so much respect for. Uh, people like you in the industry, what, what's a great place for someone to really start off? Because there's, there's some obstacles in the way. And I feel like, what are, what are some false beliefs and obstacles that people might be thinking, I can't start because I have too much debt right now. I don't have good credit. Um, I don't have a down payment saved up, things like that. What are some of the biggest obstacles you hear about that quite frankly are not actual obstacles? Yeah, I would say probably, I'll say three things here. One is that people think that they need money and you do need, and you know, they're kind of the, there's, there's kind of the fly by night uh, gurus out there that are like, you know, buy houses with no money down. You don't need any money. You could be broke. Well, I'm not saying you can't do that. And I know people that have been successful, but you know, in, in any business, if you have some resources, it's easier to get started. And so, uh, but you don't have to have money to do deals. I mean, we've, we've flipped uh, over 400 houses and, and I've almost never used my own money. That part is true. Now, I did need money for the operations of my business for marketing and systems and rent for my office and stuff like that. And so you don't have to have an office outside of your home and all that when you start. But if you have employees and things, you know, you're more likely to need a small office. But you could find it's not like you need to be in a skyscraper somewhere. You could be in a modest office someplace or a WeWork type location. But um, yeah, so money is one thing is a, is, a, is a common excuse. Like, well, I don't have the money to do that. And I think you know, if you give me somebody with the drive to do it that doesn't have money versus somebody that has the money and not, not the drive, I'll take the person that's broke with a lot of drive all day long. And so if you, it depends on how bad you want it. You could say that for probably all, all of entrepreneurship, right? If you really want this bad enough, people find a way to make it work. So that, that's probably the one big thing. Uh, the, the second thing I'll say is kind of timing the market. A lot of people, are, they, they listen to what's happening in the media. Um, and the truth is, is the market that I operate in is kind of the distressed housing market. I'll kind of, we kind of refer to it as the wholesale market. So whatever the media is talking about is talking, they're talking about the retail market, what homeowners, what's happening with, you know, people that are actually living in the houses. And I play in the wholesale market, which we kind of say is probably somewhere between five and 10% of the real estate market. So most of those things that are happening, the mar the, uh, you know, in your neighborhood, values might be up or down or days on market properties are sitting around longer, whatever. That, that's all interesting information and it's, help, it's important for us when we go to resell our houses. But when, when I'm buying from somebody that inherited a house six months ago because, you know, dad died two years ago and mom died six months ago and now they, they live across the country and they got a house that's hasn't been updated in 40 years and they don't want to deal with it. <laughs> sure, like, yeah. That is, that, that doesn't, the types of situations that drive people to call investors like me uh, don't follow market cycles and the media doesn't pay attention to them. So um, those kind of life getting in the way type things happen uh, today and they always will happen. And that's just because that's life. Um, and the third thing I'll say is that uh, there's a lot of misconceptions about what this business is really like. So it's absolutely nothing like HGTV. What? For sure. 
No, not at all. Tell me about your tell me about your twin brother and how good looking he is. Because I know <laughs> yeah. I know you guys yeah. you have to be twins to be in real estate, right? <laughs> exactly. So it's not like HGTV, and there are huge, huge Facebook groups that that are full of real estate investors. And the truth is that they're really full of a lot of people that want to be real estate investors. And um, and there's some, you know, there's a few different websites and lots of stuff on YouTube. I mean, you could find out how to do anything on YouTube. I'm not saying the information is not out there for how to do what I do, but I kind of use the analogy of, uh, you know, I know you have a son too. So my son was really big into Legos. Oh yeah. So, you know, we buy these kits, we buy the star Wars kid, it's building the millennium Falcon. And it's like, here's part one through part 22, whatever it is, like little packages of bags, like step-by-step blueprint of how to put it together. And he is awesome at that. But eventually all those Legos end up in these massive bins where they're mixed together with like 40 other things. Yes. Uh, and, and you don't know what part is for what. And that's kind of my analogy for what YouTube is. Or uh, even for a guy like me, I have 1,500 podcasts on my show. Like there's a lot of information out there. But um, if you're serious about what I do or what you do, if you really want to build a craft and become good at something, you should learn from somebody else that's done this before you and not try to just go put the pieces together yourself because the learning curve will be much, much longer if you follow that path. So I, I think it's, uh, I always, you know, it's, it's, it sounds biased when I say that because I'm a coach and a mentor, but I pay for coaching and mentoring myself. I, I pay for the fast path because I know the value of my time. Yep. And Hey, it's also not fair. Cause I'm also a coach and mentor, but let's so like, you know, we're patting each other on the back, but the truth is yeah. we let's also, pay each other. let's yeah. pay each other for our services. <laughs> I like that. But the truth is <laughs> I like, send you a link to my card after the show. No, yeah. Yeah. Ditto. I'll send you the, the digital <laughs> one, but, right, right, but the truth is like, that's what, that's what both of us have done over time uh, throughout phases and seasons in life. Like I didn't yep. realize when I was 18, I hooked up with these two brothers. I shout them out all the time. Joe and Ed Sweeney, um, who are doing real estate and mortgages, I didn't realize the education I was going to get just working for these guys in their small business. But that's how I learned how to do everything. And if it wasn't for having someone consistent in my life and saying, hey, Matthew, here's the next thing you want to do. And hey, now that your credit's done this, now you should go do that. um, I I wouldn't have been able to achieve uh, more than half, probably almost all of of what's happened. Now, you have a great way to do that. I want to shout this out real quick too. And you guys should check this out. It's flipnerd.com. I mentioned that before. That's your business and that's the main site. But if you go to flipnerd.com slash ultimate, like the ultimate, flipnerd.com slash ultimate, you will get, uh, Mike has a free 10-part real estate investing masterclass. Um, There's no strings attached. You just click this button right here. I'm looking at it right now. It says, get my free training. There's a video of Mike talking about it and it's a 10-part video. And again, I love People ask me all the time about my particular topics of NLP or of public speaking and say, hey, do you recommend any books? Do you, you know, what videos should I watch? And again, I'm like, well, you should take a comprehensive training. You should go through a program with someone that you believe in and trust knows what they're doing. And that's what you should do, at least for your first step. Don't just pick up a few books at Barnes and Noble, because I guarantee that guy probably makes a lot more money speaking and selling his books than he does in real estate. Mike is a guy who's out there doing it. So check out flipnerd.com slash ultimate. Um, tell me a little bit about, because I haven't gone through this class yet. I can't wait to do it. Um, yep. But tell me a little bit about like what's in there and why it's so important to go through the 10-part course. Why should I start with that? Because it seems like a great place to, to get rolling. 
Yeah, one of the things that that we do um, that's different than most out there is a lot of people that you know sell real estate coaching or the the kind of the gurus that fly into town for the weekend and drive people to the back of the room and and they really a lot of the real estate guys real estate has a kind of a bad name for that um, and there's nothing wrong with buying training. I mean, I sell training, I buy training, but there there's a there's a lot of stuff out there where people tend to sell the dream a lot more. Then, uh, as I kind of say, they sell they sell the sizzle more than the steak. Yes, and so um, you know, there's a lot of people that uh, want to get started, and um, and uh, you know, one of the things that we do differently, I think, than most is we teach how to build a real business, and a lot of what we teach, honestly, is kind of fundamental entrepreneurship, uh, just business one on one type stuff. But you know, I'm I'm I guess I use myself as a proxy, but I got into this, and I I ultimately wanted financial freedom and I wanted freedom of my time. I wanted to get, I've always worked really hard and I still work really hard, but I wanted to kind of live life on my terms. And, and that's what I help other people do. So a lot of people that come to me are people that have been in corporate America and they wanted to do this for a long time and, and they want to do it right now. And they don't want to get trapped into essentially a job that, that owns them. Um, they want to own a business that will give them some of their time back. And so um, I would say that's the main difference is we talk about how to build a real estate investing business, but not just how to do some deals or how to do your first deal or anything like that. We teach all that, of course, but how to build a business with systems and processes in a way that eventually uh, will allow you to get some of those, uh, some of that freedom of your time back. Yeah. And, and I really, really love like, even like when you go to the site, I'm looking through it now, you, you go through each one of the lessons. So guys, when you go there, it's not like, hey, now you're going to be in someone's funnel getting a bunch of stuff. You actually know exactly what each one of the lessons are. You can go to the ones that, that you want to. Lesson two on lead generation. I, I really like that. This is one of the, the things that really like flipped me around, <laughs> Mike, uh, <laughs> because I would, like I said, I was thinking about real estate investing and flipping has to be, I got to fix kitchens but you're like 90% or more of what you're focusing on is the lead generation. Because I mean, here's the truth, right? Like how much margin is in each house? Well, it depends on where the lead came from, how you got it. And it depends on what you did with that yellow legal pad conversation at the kitchen table with the person. And if it's the right circumstance and the right deal, and we're not talking about taking advantage of people, of course, you're talking about getting them what they want, which is probably out of a house sometimes and getting what you want, which is the right price point, you can afford to have a team take care of things and you can afford to do that. And I love, you're gonna walk people right through it. So guys, check out, again, flipnerd.com slash ultimate, that's the best thing. Uh, Mike, as we kind of wind down our time right now, we've gotten a little bit over, but uh, I wanna make sure we squeeze this in um, because it's just that important. And when the show goes to the podcast, so if you guys, if you're getting this on demand, of course, you have everything here. You're hearing this entire interview. Sometimes with our syndication, we'll chop a section or two out. Um, but if you're hearing my voice right now, you got the full deal with Mike Hambright. Um, <laughs> the final couple questions for you, Mike, is if you were to start fresh again right now in today's climate, what would you do differently or what would you do the same compared to 2008? Yeah, I, I think I would, uh, when I was getting started, I, you know, one of the things that, um, that I talk a lot about now, and you and I talked about this a little bit up front is just the power of building my network. And so when I, when I first started, I, you know, part of it is I had been, I'd kind of been through the depression, if you will, I'd lost a couple jobs and my ego was shattered a little bit. And, and I kind of thought like, Hey, if I, 
teach other people this or I go out and network and stuff that somebody's going to like steal my secret sauce. Like, like I, as if I had any at the time for sure. Um, and, and I just think I just kind of put my head down in the foxhole and, and that, that did well for us because we stayed very focused for a long time, but uh, so much of my life now is building my network, building relationships with people, finding ways to do joint ventures together and finding ways to help one another and just support one another. And so I didn't do, I mean, that, that is all encompassing of my life now for the first few years in, in business, it was not. And, uh, you know, there's a few reasons why that, why that happened. And like I said, some of it was a little bit of scarcity mindset that I had up front as to like, if I'm networking with my competition, like they're going to somehow take something from me. And the truth is, is uh, I believe the opposite of that. Now I should be talking to my competitors and uh, cause they're possible partners and they're possible friends for sure. So a big part of the, uh, of the answer to what I'd say is definitely networking and building relationships uh, much sooner than what I did. Mike, thanks so much, man, for your time and just, you know, your candor and just opening up to me and everything. I appreciate it. Looking forward to doing it again. Hopefully we'll do it on your show next. Yeah, and buddy. who knows where we're going to go after that? Who knows? That's right. Thanks so much for your time today, Matt. Thanks for the opportunity. Heck yeah, man. The world is our oyster. The world is your oyster right now. If you're listening to this, I want to remind you uh, that, you know, like it's a perfect time for real estate. You know, before, before I let you go, Mike, one last quick thing. What's your prediction, man? What do you see um, for the future, for the next 12 months? Are the Lions going to get to the Super Bowl? Are they going to do anything? Because <laughs> all, all my Michigan friends feel like they're going to do something because they're not losing as bad as they normally lose. I think that's a bad indicator. No, but where, where do you see the Lions? But where do you see the real estate market going? If I'm looking at my first place, my second place, should I keep going? Should I be buying? Should I be waiting? Should I be selling? What's your, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but kind of what's right. your strategy? Yeah, I would say, um, I think, again, I think uh, that is one of the misconceptions that are out there that, hey, the market's slowing down. And it is, the retail market is slowing down and we eventually have to resell these things. But I, I think that's one of the things that we do that's different is that there are lots of opportunities to make money in real estate in any market. And so we kind of shift our strategies. Like I might keep more rentals if the market's slowing down. And we might do more selling activities when the market's hot because it's a seller's market. And so, um, you know, I think it's always a great time to get in this business. Like this sounds kind of a cliche, but it all comes down to how well you buy it. If you buy a property really well, uh, which for us is kind of what you talked about directly from a seller. We don't, I, I've, I've bought like out of over 400 deals, I have bought three or four off of the MLS through a realtor. That is just not how we buy. We buy direct from the seller and we solve their problem um, quickly and that's how we add value to them and that's how we get deeply discounted properties. So uh, I think there's always an opportunity to make money in this market. It just depends on um, how well you buy it and then uh, you know what you decide to do with it, which we kind of call an exit strategy, whether you're going to rehab it and fix and flip it or whether you're going to keep it as a rental or do what we call wholesaling and just you know, make less money, but sell it on quickly to another investor. And so there's just without kind of, doing the rehab. That's right. You just kind of pull out a different, different tool out of your tool belt, if you will, uh, to, uh, to kind of counteract whatever might be going on in the marketplace. All right. So what I'm getting is there's no wrong time. Today's a good time. But you got to make sure that you align your strategy. If you're expecting to be able to flip it and for it to go up in value, but the market's declining, that's not the time to do that. Right. But you can still pick up a great property and maybe it's a long-term rental and who cares if it goes down because it'll go back up anyway and the rent stays the same. Um, I'm making up words for you, but I, that's no, the, you're just right. what I'm you're getting. Exactly is don't, right. don't sit on the sidelines as a point. Awesome. Mike, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, my friend. 
All right, guys, that's the show this week. Remember, uh, there's no reason to sit on the sidelines when you have an opportunity to do anything, whatever it is, whether it's real estate or something different. Um, get out there and do something. Like, don't don't be dumb. Don't just get out there and do something for the sake of doing it. But you know, when when you have some education, when you have someone leading the way, you have someone you can follow, some advice, some mentorship. Get out there and do something bold. And make sure, again, you follow, if you haven't already, follow Mike Hambright. He's a great, great dude. He eats his own cooking, has done a lot of stuff. You can find him at LinkedIn at Mike.Hambright. That's H-A-M-B-R-I-G-H-T. And on Facebook at ML Hambright. And follow him at FlipNerd.com slash Ultimate and get that 10-part course. And of course, you can follow me at Matt Brawny, B-R-A-U-N-I-N-G, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Um, love, love, love your support. So, Subscribe, rate, and review the show if you haven't already. Appreciate that on iTunes. It makes a huge, huge difference. I don't just say that every week because I'm supposed to say it because I'm a podcast and a radio show. I actually mean it. If you haven't, if you would do that and you love the show, it would so help us to find more people and to keep doing this for free twice a week, every single week for you. Get out there this week and crush it. See you then. 